0: Hi there, my name is Mia Arden and I am the author of Mermaid Fillet or Mermaid Filet, depending on how you'd like to say it. The book was inspired by me largely working through some of my own demons, my own vices and my own mental illnesses. The book is about smuggling mermaid tales on the black market and a goddess who rules over the world uh, through blood storms you can find the book at most of your local retailers and you can also check it out at the social media pages mermaid fillet on instagram and mermaid underscore fillet on twitter there's also a mermaid fillet facebook page if you'd like to check it out there and get a bit of a feel for the characters Uh, you can see their visuals and voiceovers and their star signs Uh, where they're living, be it Balha or Balbal South, um, and a bit about what they like. As a quick disclaimer, the book does contain strong language, explicit sex, gratuitous violence, and some blasphemy. So it may not be for children or for your ma, but if none of these things offend you, it might be for you. If you would like a signed copy, you can go to the website mermaidfillet.com and we can get one delivered to your doorstep. There are six main characters and most of these characters struggle with a vice or mental illness. There's a Bangghat who is addicted to Jordans and is always broke. There is a Malnai who is a bisexual killer and drinks way too much. There's a Sturvikunt who is super woke and loves the word intersectional? There's a chruet man who is a suicidal kingpin who distrusts joy. There's a genuine O who's a devoted husband and a little bit into BDSM. There's also a mysterious Twitter user called M16 in your back, and there's a tiff who is a violent woman who suffered some PTSD as a result of childhood trauma, but really she is very nice and one of my favorite characters. Here's a quick reading from the opening of the book. Don't be taken for a puss. This is particularly hard to remember when it's year end. You're defeated, you're tired, you're weakened. Don't get taken for a puss, not by those who want to employ you, or even those who love you. They will all try it. It's festive. Stay base. Here is another excerpt from towards the end of the book. Every bulbul has a bulbul South. Every Rondebosch has an Athlone. Every Maitland has a Kensington. There are two Cape Towns. And that's easy to forget. Maybe someday the dhukum will lift, but for now if you look closely at Table Mountain and you see the tracks and stains from where the thick blood poured down its arching slopes when you look up at the sky and smell metal, you'll know why. This passage refers to a bunch of things. One of them is the spatial apartheid that we continue to see in Cape Town, and how there's the beautiful Cape Town and then there's the other one that people don't always recognize. The blood coming from the sky comes from the goddess who rains down menstrual storms whenever an act of sexual violence is perpetrated on one of the characters. If it's a really violent, extreme act of sexual violence, the blood storm that rains down is sufficient to kill a character. And if it's a micro aggressive act of sexual violence, it tends to be a light drizzle of blood rain that befalls that character. Another reading refers to two characters, the Tiff, Letitia, and the stervicant Michaela, who for most of the novel are at odds with each other. Letitia lived in the Northern suburbs. The Northern suburbs is a black hole with a gravitational force so strong that two pup sucks fused and formed a singularity. The North is Cape Town's shameless sister. She's a bit too loud. She's a bit too unrefined. She needs a bit of help, but in time she won't adjust. She will still wear bootleg jeans. Letitia could not see Table Mountain from where she lived. Michaela got out of the Northern suburbs and moved between Woodstock and the CBD, where the mountain loomed large and kids in fillers and moon bags walked with their shades on and their earplugs in on their way to pick up some pesto in the gentry. Letitia didn't have a gold tooth entirely, just a gold line on the tip of the tooth. On the left, just a lynchie subtle. Michaela liked Solange. Letitia, could pick up a 100 Rand note with her arse cheeks. She considered harassment as a part of a job. The only question she had regarding objectification was how to exploit it. Michaela considered catcalling to be society's declaration of a war on her body. As a waitress, Letitia smeared her period blood onto a customer's capacio salad. Letitia was a Gemini, sometimes a gem, mostly a nigh. She opened her 16 Rand box of JFKs with her binipus pink nails. Her hair was bottle blonde. Her teta were expensive. Michaela always spelt a woman with an X. Michaela was writing her Anthropology Masters on how animals assist spirituality and coping with mental illness. AK is a genuine O. And on his wedding day, these were the vows that he read to his wife to be. We have our dynamic and I know I can be domineering, but I am not afraid to kneel at your feet. If you fall, we fall. If you're good, I'm good. If you're happy, I'm happy. If you're sad, Someone's gonna die. If I had nine seconds left to live, I'd call you. You are my world. This is mine. I will seed everything I recognize to protect this. Nayas must take your name out their mouth. Don't fuck with my family. I will put humans to sleep like dogs to protect this. I will peel membrane off the earth's surface for you. There is only you.
1: My name is Stephanie Firmierlin, and I'm the editor at Quella Books. I recently sat down with Mia Arden to discuss her fabulous debut novel, Mermaid Fillet. This book is available at your favorite bookstore and wherever you shop online. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So thank you for, for joining um, the craft conversation. Um, are, you as nervous as, as, are you as nervous as I am? Probably, yes. I'm pretty nervous.
0: <laughs> I'm always nervous, but I am happy that I'm speaking to you because you're the best. I'm comfortable with you.
1: So. Uh, thank you. How are you doing, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I think I know everyone's talking about, you know, uh, this year and how difficult it's been. Um, but I mean, for me, mermaids has just become like a symbol of like hope and like cool things. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so we'll jump uh, right into the questions. Um, but before we start talking about, you know, the... the the craft and the editing process and all those things I, I kind of just wanted to hear from you what's the journey as a debut author been like I mean did you have any set expectations you know after you signed the contract um and then did it meet your expectations I mean just you know what what has it been like um
0: so I'm not sure I really had wild expectations I think once I signed the contract my focus was on making the deadline so that was yeah that was like yo I need to I need to make this deadline I need to finish this book and that obviously like took a a lot of work so by the time it was done I was just like okay I can breathe now um you know let's see what happens happens like I wasn't going to get my hopes up too much because I'm just like I just am that person I don't like I don't hope too big because I just, you know, try and protect myself. So I didn't yeah. think too much about how it was going to be received. But I mean, the little I did think about, it's totally exceeded that. Like it's been received really well. People have been really kind about it. Um, and so, yeah, wh- whatever expectations I did have, it's just been better than that. So I'm really grateful for the way it's it's gone down.
1: I mean, that's really awesome to um, I mean, same with you on that Um I mean, I think it's just been amazing. I mean, the publicity and, you know, public perception and the Instagram page, like, I think it's all been really, really amazing. Um, so, okay, let's get into those crafty kind of questions. Um, so I just wanted to know, um, I mean, I DM'd you on Twitter, right? I don't even remember what year that was. Um everything's like a blur. Um, I, I DM'd you on Twitter. Um, was that, so first, was that weird? <laughs> just no, receiving a random DM from someone. I don't
0: think so. Like
1: back then, I was on Twitter a lot. I was still under the the handle
0: the Divine Dala. I was on Twitter all the time, um, and that handle no longer exists. But I remember when like when you contacted me on Twitter, I was like, oh shit, this is so sweet. It's so validating. I hate the word validating, but like it was validating, and it was yeah. Like, it was just nice, you know, to be kind of seen, particularly when I was in a mental space that just you know, I didn't feel very confident at all. So it was actually, you know, on the contrary, it was really, it was really lovely. Um, and DMs on Twitter
1: aren't weird. Like <laughs> Twitter's there for the <laughs> <guys>. <laughs> I'm glad because I thought this is like, this is really weird because I'd seen you, um, at Open Book the year before. Uh, I was just kind of trying to find the courage to just like DM you, um, and hope that you you don't think I'm weird, um. But yeah, so after the DM, I mean, we then you know <laughs> were more professional uh, and chatted over email, um, and we met for coffee, because uh, you you kind of had ideas that you wanted to to discuss, um, you know, before you started working. So I I, I just wanted to know how was the idea for Mermaid Philip born?
0: Hmm. Um. Well. It was formed kind of in the process. I didn't realize like it was going to be called what it was going to be called or that the story would kind of pan out the way it did. I did know that I had like bits and pieces of writing and ideas that I wanted integrated. Um, And so I drew on some older work and some newer work. And then like I just kind of the characters came through as they came through. Um, Mermaid like the mermaid theme only came through afterwards like i remember you still like i still suggested like four to four or five different titles before we narrowed it down to to mermaid planet. so you know that definitely only came later um i can't remember what the other titles were but i think they were kind of <laughs> uh,
1: i mean i'm thinking about it now i can't remember either like it, it everything feels like such a pair. like it it was like it the process took really slow almost to, to you know get to the point of publication and then everything kind of just happened all at once so okay so just based on what you're saying so you had kind of ideas but you didn't have you know a draft already um because you're saying you know you took bits and pieces from from older work and then newer ideas that you had but so how long did it take you to to write that first draft you know to officially submit to quilla books
0: you see I can't give you an exact answer I think like I think maybe two three years maybe more maybe less um I, have a, I don't know I have a shocking memory stem. <laughs> I think I think so I think from like the, from when yeah. you when you contacted me to starting the draft um yeah. to when I submitted it it feels like it could have been over over two three years I don't I'm not sure though because um, I also I wrote in Stukies man. Like I, I had like, you know, periods where I would be really focused and then other periods where I would yeah. just like, not think about it too much. So it kind of you know, I didn't write consistently over that, over over those um, years as well, you know. were periods of high focus and periods of, you know, trying to cope with the ninety five. So it's hard to pin yeah. down like how long it took really.
1: You actually yeah. make this sound like super intense. Like I was thinking it was like a year or something and now I'm just like, wow, two, three years, this sounds <laughs> crazy. Really? it wasn't,
0: yeah. I don't know. It could have been a yeah. I'm going to go back and check that out.
1: <laughs> um, but I mean, for you personally, would, you know, so would you say that, you know, the crafting of the story, so the characters in the plot, um, do you think that that's the most difficult part of the process?
0: yes I would say for for me the chronology of it even more so like the characters um they they quite it's organic for me developing the characters like wasn't wasn't too bad um and the plot I kind of knew towards towards the end where and how I wanted it to pan out but like you know formulating dates and timelines around that was a fucking mission like Uh, That that particular part was a bit difficult. So I took out, like, calendars and, like, drew out timelines on, like, a big-ass page um, because that was hard to to wrap my head around, as you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then did you kind of do the same with with the characters? So, I mean, you have the the calendar where you're dropping down dates and and trying to get the chronological order correct, um, you know, the events that take place in the book. Um, But did you do the same with the characters in terms of, like – sitting down and actually plotting out the character in terms of characteristics, you know, what they look like. Um, I mean, your characters, um, this particular focus on, you know, their vices. Um, So did you kind of follow the same order there with, with characterization as well?
0: Yeah. So I have, like, I have a hard copy, big, like, A1 book, and each character had two big pages on that. And then there'd be notes about their vices and about, um, their backgrounds and also notes on like how each character relates to each other character. You know, I'd be like, okay, Letitia feels this way about Isaac, about AK, about Nikela, et cetera, et cetera. So each character page would have notes on how they relate to everyone else in the book. Um, and then where they come from, where they're located, what their, what their journey's been. Uh, and I'll keep adding to those pages, you know, as, as I went on with the, with the writing of it. So it just became, each character page became more and more robust. And I would have to refer back to it to remember, okay, so Isaac was this old when he did this. Um, so that, so that kind of kept me tethered to, you know, to the characters trying to be true to them. Um, but it was a constant process of referring back to these character pages and to the, and to the calendar. It was just flipping back and forth between, between pages, sticking pages up on my wall. Like it was a bit messy, um, to keep it organized, you know.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I think also with this particular story, because the the storyline is so intricately woven, right? And there's like what was so amazing for me in the, like when I read the first draft, um, and I, I read it. I read it the same day that you sent it to me. I remember I printed it out and then I went to have coffee and I went to read it because like I had been waiting for this manuscript. And so it was like early in the morning because um, I, I get to the, the office quite early. Um, I printed it out and I went to sit at the coffee shop and I just read it because um, I couldn't wait anymore. And and what was what stood out for me was just how well you had already crafted the storyline and the characters and they. It was, you know, this thread that kind of connected all the characters together. And then when you're done reading, you're like, what? Um, I mean, you did that quite well. The calendar and the big A1 notebook definitely helped you. Um, So that was really cool. Um, And then, so when you started drafting the story, right, so, I mean, after, you know, we had the coffee and discussed the ideas and and you took time to, to think about the plot and the characters, What is the starting point, you know? So did you start, do you first start with the characters or the plot? So, you know, in terms of, do you pick the characters and then make them fit into this worked out plot? Or do you let the characters kind of take the lead? Um, Because, I mean, your characters are so layered and so realistic and authentic, you know? So did you kind of let the characters take the lead and then see what they do and where the story ends up?
0: i did yeah my characters definitely took the lead and i realized how they fitted into each other's lives kind of by exploring them so you know just letting them unfold as characters it became clear how they were you know related to each other or not related to each other or how they played out you know in the in the others lives And then towards the end, it it was just clear how it was going to work out. I definitely had the character's journeys front of mind rather than the plot. Um, So, the fact that the ending does tie things together, I feel lucky for, because it was Like, I hadn't planned it to work out, like, at all. So, you know, they side together because I was like, well, this is obviously how they know each other. This is, you know, it just came through quite seamlessly because I tend to focus on the characters more than the plot.
1: I mean, that's really great. And I think that's what makes the reading experience of Mehmet Phillips, you know, so amazing is that it's a character driven plot. Um, And you just get so invested in these characters. I mean, they start to be like real people. And so, you know, because reading is a subjective experience. Um, I mean, even as (laughs) your editor, when I was reading the stories, when I was reading the story, I was obviously drawing my own conclusions about certain characters. But for you, who's your, your favorite and then your least favorite character and why? So,
0: my favorite character is Isaac. Um, Isaac is really fun to me and Isaac was really fun to write and I relate to Isaac on numerous levels. He's a bit of a nigh, I tend to be a bit of a nigh, um, he, he takes people in his life for granted, you know, I still do, but at the time I was writing I, yo, I really, I really did tend to take people who love me for granted um, and he's just toxic bisexual, you know, which I tend to be myself, so there was a lot. He's also always drinking and allowing that to get the better of his life, which is again something I relate to. I'm gonna okay? And so <laughs> it's also yeah. So it's just easy to write, you know. the character is like a seamless character to write. It's just it takes the the burden of writing off because it just feels channeled, and that was was I in a lot of ways. Um, my least favorite is Michaela. I feel like Michaela is more relatable than I realized. <laughs>
1: People really like People were feeling
0: read by Michaela, Mia. Honestly, <laughs> no, I know. I, I'm sorry. Like you know, I didn't mean to drag Michaela the way I did. Um, but also, yeah, I just I find Michaela annoying. My grand agrees with me as well. My grand is like, this Michaela, I don't, I don't like that one. And I was like, I know, no, I don't like So I find her uh, just just annoying, man. You know. But at the same time, she has like an emotional honesty. There's like, you know, there's emotional maturity there. And I think people relate to the the kind of, I don't know, honesty that she she brings. And I find more and more I'm going back to Michaela and I'm like, you know what, like there's something there. And I do relate to her in more regards than I would like to admit to myself. But when I wrote her, I I wasn't a fan. So, yeah, yeah. How do you
1: feel about Michaela? <laughs> no, well, I mean, see, yeah, so when I when I read it the first time, I was like rolling my eyes at Michaela, but also feeling just personally attacked because <laughs> I feel that I mean, Michaela's almost the parts of of yourself that you you don't want to admit to yourself. I mean, you know, obviously as, as individuals, we're also, you know, we're layered, we're not just one thing, but Michaela really kind of represented that those parts that, you know, where you think, oh, does someone think that I'm that superficial or, I mean, the things that she, she just really spoke to, you know, the, the culture that we currently live in with social media and, and just with, uh, uh, <laughs> the <entirely> politically correct, <laughs> and also just with, with woke culture. So, for me, she was actually a very interesting character, even though, I, I mean, I definitely have mixed feelings about her. So, that kind of actually goes into my next question, because I was I was <laughs> thinking of questions, and I was like, ooh, maybe this is a bit spicy, but uh, yeah, we are Mia. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> so, I mean, fictional works, you know, oftentimes are, are rendering social commentary, and so... When we were, were working with Michaela, I mean, I, I felt that she represented a certain part of, of pop culture and, you know, like I was saying, um, you know, social media, work culture, all of those things. Um, and then, you know, was she your way of taking a jab at certain people or at certain culture?
0: Yes. Yes, truly, yes. I <laughs> I was taking a jab at certain people and certain culture. That's what I was doing. Um, you know Were you worried
1: I, that people would come for you?
0: Yes. I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. And you talked me down a bunch of times, you know, I appreciate that. Like I was very scared, but you know, people would take it a certain kind of way that I presented her, you know, in this light, in this like, you know, slightly more tedious light. Um, even though she she's kind of representative of um Social media woke culture and and like you know she's written in a critical way um yeah. and i i wanted to take a lot of i thought about taking a lot of things out um and so you know i was i was scared i'm always scared of people coming for me um in or like not even people coming for me, but just like not having thought something through properly, like you know everyone has a blind spot yeah. or five so yeah. You know, this idea of like, I haven't thought this through properly. This could be highly offensive. Like, do I need to relook at it? And I did. I looked at it over and over and like tried to think it through more objectively, which is difficult. Um, yeah. and just, you know, to be <laughs> clear of thought, um, in, you know, in, in narrative arcs and like not to be, you know, because words matter. Narratives are important and you, it's, it's important that you, that you can account for why you've presented a character in a certain kind of way. So all of those things are mm. constantly on my mind. Um, and mm. so, I mean, as you know, I spoke to you about a lot of the stuff and you were like, no man, okay, this is, this is fine. This is, you know. So you brought like a, an objective <laughs> lens to it. And I think that's so important, man, because if you've become too close to the work and then you can't see where maybe you're veering off track into dangerous ground, and yeah. that's why you have an editor like
1: seven, <laughs> uh, Yes stop, <sir>, please? <laughs> So, um, no, and I mean, I, I know that we we chatted about this, this um, like you said, quite extensively. And I mean, even though Michaela, <laughs> you know, is kind of a jab at at, at, at certain people and, and, and kind of work culture um, and, and this culture that's enforced by social media and constantly being available and doing things for the likes and all of that, um, she wasn't. I guess, uh, for me, she wasn't stereotypical. Um, I mean, there were still layers to her, and she was still, even in this this little curated world that she created for herself, I mean, she was still authentic in that world. So, no, I mean, I I think the fear probably comes from, again, this call-out culture that's so rife. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I don't think that that she was uh, an archetype or a stereotype, um, and that you only presented her in this one-dimensional way. Because, I mean, even with antagonists, right, they have to be layered as well, because no one person is just bad. You know, there's a story behind everything, which I think you did with Michaela, and, and that's why I was, you know, pushing for you to kind of leave her as is. Whoever had a problem with that kind of just had to pull themselves towards themselves and (laughs) do some introspection as to why you felt read by her. But but on that that note as well, I mean, do you think that Michaela has redeeming qualities? Because I think everyone kind of now looks at her as, as shame, as, you know, the antagonist. I mean, she reaches out to someone else's boyfriend, needing um, him to kind of, you know, know support her and and comfort her, even though she has access to all all those things like therapy. But do you think that that she has redeeming qualities? Yes, I do think she has redeeming qualities. Um, I've been
0: thinking more and more about it because you know I I feel like my dislike for Michaela might be too personal, and so (laughs) when I look at it now, she does. She's, She's like you know she's striving towards balance which I think is a, is a difficult and brave thing to do and she does that throughout and that's you know it's, it's quite lovely she, she herself is she's not without her like virtue. you know she's, she's trying mm-hmm. quite authentically to be a better person and to be a socially conscious person um and so you know I think that is a redeemable quality to to have and to be consistent about um, and she's also she's got like Marxist underpinnings, which I which I really like. And she's yeah, she's kind of poetic in the way that she thinks, which can be annoying. But also <laughs> sometimes she gets it right. like good like, So there are there are things about her that that I find quite sweet.
1: Yeah, and and you know why to me why she was also a, a pivotal you know part in the story. Um, you know think about her what you like why she was pivotal is she kind of you know opens that that dialogue or the conversation about something like therapy like dealing through you know traumas and all of those things which is not something that you know is commonly spoken about uh you know like say in the colored community and so, yeah, we had this this character who was, you know, actively seeking therapy and trying to work through past traumas. I mean, there's that perception of kind of just sweeping things under the rug, kind of just moving forward because you have to, which is kind of like where Letitia comes in. And so, you know, Michaela was kind of necessary to balance out the story, I think, especially with Letitia. And I know some people feel that the one there's the one scene where you have snippets of Leticia and then snippets of Michaela's story and to me I like la- that, that was one of my favorite parts in the book where you're contrasting these two characters and not like some people would say pitting them against each other because i mean i didn't read it like that it was more like to highlight you know the, the differences so anyway so to me she was she was an important character shame <laughs> You know what the other Um, thing is,
0: I find like her healing, she's very serious about healing and she speaks this language (laughs) of like, I'm going to heal, my ancestry is non-linear, my healing is non-linear. She uses those kinds of phrases. um, And intersectionality. And intersectionality. (laughs) And it's all in the buzzword, which is overbearing. um, But also she develops her own language of healing, which, which is cool.
1: So then, um, you know, kind of just, you know, back to to the process itself. I mean, I can imagine how daunting, you know, it must have been to submit that first draft and then kind of just, you know, be left at the mercy of the editor or external readers with feedback. But what was that like for you? (laughs) It was,
0: yo, yeah. (laughs) It was tough. I mean, But also, but also not because this idea of it being out of my hands for for a while was also a bit liberating. I was like, okay, look, I've done I've done the thing now. Um, I am going to carry on with my day and not think about Mermaid Fillet, which is going to be glorious. (laughs) So also, it was. I'm also I'm very unsure of my work, like whether it's the, the book or even writing an article. I'm always very unsure of what I've written. So the idea of having a different pair of eyes on it. Is also comforting to me. It's like, okay, well, okay. you know, yeah, you're professionals who can pick up like real shit or problems or like improve it in ways that I couldn't imagine. So there's also something really reassuring about just passing it on, and you know, then you don't feel so like I don't know, alone and raw in the process. So yeah, so it it was it was um, daunting passing it on, but also it was like, okay, it's, it's out of my hands now and with people who know what they're doing because I don't know what I'm doing. And that's nice.
1: <laughs> we'll get back to this, this lack of confidence in your writing. We, we're going to get back to that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, some writers, you know, might want to be very involved in the process, um, very assured of their writing, kind of very precious about their darlings. But I I mean I that's like when I when I spoke to you and I said, you know, this process is you know, it's going to be like a, a team effort kind of. And I, I want us to have a really good relationship because it's this whole back and forth and then, you know, finally having this end product. But, you know, was there, there ever a point in the process, B P that's before publication, uh, where where you felt despondent? Um
0: no, I actually became more excited about it with the editing process because I mean the way you edited and the external reader as well. You both pointed out like where the novel was going right and how it could improve and like acknowledged parts that you thought were dope um, and acknowledged parts we thought I could elaborate on. So it was done in like a really gentle and collaborative way, which made me more confident yeah. about it than I was. So. I think the reverse is true. Where I was more unsure about it before it started being edited, and like through the editing, I became more sure of it. Um, and I think it's it because cool. it was so collaborative, and because there was like acknowledgement. It wasn't just like red lines, like no, this is cut changes. It was like no, this is great. I love this line. It's cut funny. Maybe improve over here. Like speak to you know this section of this character. Um, and so the way it was done, I think, instilled confidence more than. Um, broke it down, which is, yeah, which was cool.
1: I mean, that's always really cool to hear. <laughs> so what what do you think was the most difficult part? You know, it, it, so in retrospect, what was the most difficult part in, in the writing process, the editing process, just the process as a whole? What was the most difficult part for you? I
0: think, um, you know, writing, rewriting, editing, like parts that were traumatic. That was a bit difficult looking at parts that I that were personal and, and like you know sources of trauma for me. Like I like I write that shit down to get it out of my system and I never want to see it again. I don't want to reread it. I don't want to revisit it. And obviously with editing it's like nah you need to now go over this. Go back. <laughs> so I had to revisit that shit. And there's like there's an element of being re-traumatized by revisiting that writing over and over. And so it's only certain parts. But that was like a a triggering thing to do, you know, when it's repetitive like that and when it's something you just want out of your your life and out of your memory, but obviously it doesn't work that way and writing doesn't work that way. And so, yeah, I suppose rewriting and editing parts that were dark and and traumatic on a personal level. And personal, yeah.
1: You're speaking, you know, about, you know, revisiting and sort of (laughs) revisiting that trauma. But do you think then that in a way became cathartic? I think so. I think, you know, you can't,
0: I mean, even with the process now, with everything just being out in the world like that, I've had to revisit the shit so many times now that like, you know, it's a part of me that I have processed in a way that I hadn't processed it while it was just in my notebook like you must become comfortable with it at some level if you do it enough if you speak about it enough so it's just like okay this is just now part of the thing
1: so it's just something you sort of just become more comfortable with i mean i don't think that it obviously makes it less traumatic um but it's something that just kind of becomes part of of you and and the book and the process of talking about it
0: i think so i I think that The first couple of times I had revisited or spoke about the the traumatic elements of the book, it was really difficult and like after the first couple of interviews I was just like, I was so drained and feeling kind of re-traumatized and very exposed. But then like after enough times, you know, I just, I think you do, I think you just start owning the narrative, you just, you start owning the way you talk about it and the way you integrate it into your life and into your, your, you know, you just develop a sense of agency about it, which I think I now move with more comfort with, yeah. you know, where before yeah. it was like, you know, just difficult and I just not know how to even speak, you know, along those issues. It's like now it's, yeah. it's something that I think I can choose how to address and I can choose, you know, I don't know. I feel like I, I'm more in control of my own narrative now than I was before, and that is a deeply cathartic thing.
1: Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I was just going to say, so, I mean, it, it was quite a brave choice of yours to make, then because I mean, with fictional work, you could write about literally anything. Um, you know, I mean, you've created this world where people are selling or smuggling uh, mermaid fillets. You could have written about anything, but you you kind of chose to include those those personal parts in the story. I mean I think that was quite brave. And and so, I mean, do you think that it was part of you that was wanting to to own the story and own the narrative and kind of take control of, of that room instead of, you know, having it control you? Yeah. Or was it kind intentional?
0: It i mean it was also it was also unconscious. Like the shit just comes out when I die. And because it's a work of fiction, you know, it's it's not autobiographical it's not a memoir so people can't be like okay give me dates and times of these things so it's embedded in fiction and a lot of the shit is fiction um and so it gives me kind of space to to write about things without it being too personal like i also i was surprised because people ask me about the more traumatic elements of it rather than like a man being pushed through a hook or like being killed, maybe, <laughs> right away with you know, so they want to speak about that, now, which, is, which is fine. Um, but because there's obviously impossible shit that happens as well, it, it does put the trauma and, the, and like the darker elements in a magical space, which, is, which makes it easier for me to deal with, because the whole surreal element means that I get to explore that, that stuff yeah. in a way that's like imaginative and and more real to me in a sense. So yeah. writing it in fiction is is just easier than, than writing it as like nonfiction, which is just so brutal.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hear you and I think this way you kind of got to, because I mean, with your life, there's only so much you can control. Whereas, you know, you're sitting here, you know, writing the story and you have control because you're the one, you know, writing the story. So, you could take it, I mean in your mind, if you had imagined a certain instance you know ending a certain way, yeah, you had free reign to kind of control or explore how it could have ended in if things were like this,
0: for sure, for sure, so, yeah, so I mean, if I want a character to die as a result of the action, I can make them die in a bloodstorm or whatever i can I yeah. can give characters redemption that I may not have had, um and had, that in its yeah. Healing,
1: I hate healing. but yeah it's quite healing because I can I <laughs> can <laughs> <Okay>, Michaela. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean I, I think that's, that's quite a, a great answer and, and I, I think a great way to also approach writing because I mean even in fictional work, I think writers in general—I mean, you draw on what you know and what you've experienced. It, it might not be autobiographical, and obviously not exactly how it happened, but that's the great freedom that comes with writing fictional works. So, yeah, let's also talk about the language use. Uh, yeah, let's let's go to something lighter. <laughs> okay. Yes. Let, let's talk about the language use in 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 Moment for I mean. You know, so for me, that was just one of the things that made this book so special is the way you write and then also the language that you use. Was that intentional with this particular story and and the setting and the characters? Or is that kind of your general writing style? Or, you know, was it purposeful to write using kind of English cops, just because I don't have a a different (laughs) name for it?
0: I think... Look, I think it's a, it's a style of writing that I've, that's become my style of writing. Like, even when I write sh- short pieces or I look at writing articles, I still tend to write like that. And it's so, it's perhaps, it's and also, but, but like not, I don't know, I want to be able to use the word just and then ravenous and like nonlinear all the same paragraph because, you know, that informs my own complexity. And that's kind of true to how I think. Like, those words all, Form part of the way that I think, so um, you know it's about letting them live next to each other, and then not compromising on the way that you that you write, because you know they all come those phrases and the words all come through in the way that I process information, and so it wasn't so deliberate as just like I'm not going to compromise in how I write. It's like I thought maybe I can edit it all into either you know English English or caps caps afterwards um but when I wrote it I was just gonna write it as you know as it as it came through to me um and so yeah and I didn't have to kind of edit the style out which was cool um but yeah I don't think it was it was deliberate it was more just um quite undeliberate, actually
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I mean I think yeah, so to me, when I, when I read it, I mean, the language was one of the first things that I kind of picked up on. And like my heart just felt so full <laughs> because, I mean, we, we have English texts and then, you know, we have Afrikaans texts and then we have Carps, uh, you know, complete cops texts um, as well. But, you know, what we don't have yet um, in kind of South African literature, you know, is that there is variety within cops. You know, and then that's also when you were very... When we had our conversation, you were very adamant about, you know, not pitching this as a, as a Cape flat story. And so, yeah, we have the story that's kind of written uh, in this English cops kind of form. And then also it's set in the northern suburbs, which, again, is not something that's really widely written about. And, you know, we don't really have that. So I think that that really made Mermaid Fillet special. And so... You know, because yeah, someone needs to come up with a like a, a, a term for this because I'm just going to keep calling it English carbs now. Um, <laughs> because it, it, I mean, it's that whole concept of growing up in an Afrikaans or carbs community, but then being raised English. So there's almost that like moose influence in the way that we then speak. You know, then P word aside, because <laughs> we know how your your grandmother feels about uh, your use of no, P word. <laughs> um were you were you afraid of of the public's reception of of the language no actually like I, that was the one thing i wasn't I was worried about the deception of a
0: lot of things like you know the violence and the the sex scenes to a degree. I didn't really think about the language as being, you know, so <laughs> offensive, which like, in retrospect, like it is, it's a lot, you know. Um, but it didn't really occur to me until um, until I thought, until until relatives of mine were like, I wanna read this. And then I was like, oh shit, like actually the language is, it's like the way you swear all the time in life and then you know, yeah. sway suddenly you'll realise your uncle is standing there, your granny's standing there and you'll be like, Oh shit, I actually speak like that. You know what I mean? It's like you know I wasn't even conscious of until I was like, Okay, my relatives are going to read this and the language is actually really vile. Um, because I think yeah, it is the way I think and it is, you know, to a degree the way I speak when I'm not being looked at or listened to by respectable members of society, like that, so, um. <laughs> <members of> society. <laughs> I
1: mean, so, I mean, I, I just, I asked the question because, I mean, there aren't many, I mean, this way of, of writing and, and speaking is not really documented in many literary texts, so I, I, you know i kind of just wondered if that was something that you know you were concerned about people saying something because i mean you're calling it vile but essentially it's what makes it, it's what makes the characters authentic i mean if that is the way the characters speak then that's the way the character speaks and you know your writer's voice also just makes it more genuine for the setting and the characters and also just for you because it's i mean it is like you're saying how you speak right no yeah I, I
0: also don't always think of it as like sometimes you can you know you can curse someone um I was gonna say a word now but I mean you can use like vile language in a way that's like quite endearing and you can mean it like you know quite sweetly to someone if you both speak like that You'd, like this us think back you can sway with someone and not at someone <laughs> and so and then it can be, you know, it doesn't have to be rude or violent. Um, so I didn't always think of it like that.
1: But. Okay, so we have like one or two questions still. And then, I mean, I think, so this one kind of also ties into to what we, we've uh, been talking about now. Because for me, Mermaid it, you know, the book, it, it kind of carefully toes the line between literary and commercial. You know, it's rendering the social commentary on 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 class, gender stereotypes, and you know many other themes. Um, and then you have the characters and the language use. It can't really be neatly boxed into something that readers have have read before or that's been published before. And then when we sat down, one of the last few meetings we had in face to face because you know pandemic. We had a, a discussion, you know, to then also just play, play around with, with the crime genre. Um, and I think, you know, Mehmet Fillet is just, you know, push, pushing all the boundaries. What was your, your motivation behind writing the story? I mean, was it that to kind of push the boundaries to, to create a dialogue about, you know, certain things? Not really. <laughs>
0: Not really. I just, um, I just had these characters in, in mind and they just dealt with situations in ways that were just quieter than how I would. It's like kind of when you play something, when you have like, you know, an argument with someone and you think of like, dopely thoughts afterwards you're like I should have said this I should have said that and then I was like okay these characters can do all that shit that I wanted to do but didn't do you know and so it was was more like that than the intention of having a dialogue or whatever um I suppose maybe with Michaela a little bit I was I was looking at dialogue through but those again would be like you know the kind of retorts that I wish I had when I was surrounded by very well people and couldn't think of, like, quite shit to say. I'd be like, okay, Michaela, will probably say.
1: "It's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Last question, um, so you can start wrapping up. So for, you know, I think this question is more also just for aspiring writers kind of, you know, who'd be listening. Um, what's the one thing you wish someone had told you about the publishing process? I mean...
0: I don't. I don't know that I have a particular thing. I think I should. I I feel like I should have been more thick-skinned when thinking about writing and and pitching, because that was a long, difficult process full of rejection, you know. And so, but I. I mean, I can't even say that nobody told me that. Like people definitely told me that. It's like a known. It's a known thing. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, I can't even say that I wish I had more advice in that regard, but. I do I do think maybe the the one thing I wish I I did know is that you need to to not accept all the the feedback that you get and to kind of insulate your work like just write and tell nobody that you're writing and keep that voice kind of as authentic and insular as possible before you show it to other people because that helped me but that again might not help everyone like some people really thrive yeah lots of feedback so I think it depends on, on the person but there is, there is something to be said for not compromising particularly in those initial stages
1: Definitely, I mean I think that's great advice and then you know, voila, to all the people who rejected your work I mean <laughs> <laughs> look at you now um, and I mean I'm obviously quite chuffed um, that you're a Quella author um, and that we were able to publish this book really just definitely one of the highlights um (laughs) in my publishing career
0: just wait first thank you for thank you for like seeing my work man because it was really you did that so um i'm eternally grateful that you you saw something in my writing you know because
1: Uh, no i mean your writing is, is amazing and i just i hope that as you know you i mean i definitely hope that you continue to publish books and um, I mean, I think that you are just a writer who can take over the literary space. I mean, I'm excited. No pressure, because I, I know that you're busy working on something. Um, but no pressure. But yeah, I mean, I hope that as the the process continues, that you just grow as, as you know, confident in in your writing, and you know, you can see what everyone else sees. I mean, it's not just me, but I mean, I'm eternally grateful <laughs> to you. <laughs> for just kind of sticking it out and, you know, following through on this random DM on Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, I'm also eternally grateful to Twitter, I guess, even though it's just a dark space. But yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, Twitter's been good to me, man. I can't even I can't even say that it hasn't. So yeah, also very grateful for
1: Twitter. <laughs> um, and so there's is there anything I mean that you still maybe comment a question something you want to ask me or um um you know last commentary before we we end the conversation Hmm. maybe
0: i have a question for you how is
1: it being oh, an goodness. Ed- <laughs> tell me about i shouldn't something. have said that yes, yes this is <laughs> what happens when you stray from the script i wrote down <laughs> i typed out all my questions so nicely in my notepad <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, Well, look, I mean, it it really is. It's really great. I mean, for me, the best thing about my job is being a part of, of a writer's journey, especially a debut author. I mean, there's just this great sense of like purpose and like pleasure that comes with finding a manuscript that you know is going to do so well. And this is a writer that needs to be published. This is now, okay, this is not like self-promotion or whatever. But um, <laughs> I also just, I, I, I love the, the the motto behind Quella. I mean, publishing things that broaden the scope. I mean, there's so many more books out there that needs to be published. So, yeah. No, I mean, I, I really, I enjoy my job. Um, it really is great. And I mean, if I get to publish more people like you, I mean, hello. Can't complain. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <It's> you, <really done. laughs> But thank you so much for your time, Mia. I hope that we'll be able to see each other one day. I don't know when. End of next year, 2022. That's when we'll see each other and yeah, like really cool. celebrate. Cool.
0: <laughs> yes, we will. We will, and we'll drink lots of wine. I'm
1: Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Thank you.